Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello listeners and welcome to episode 2 of the new season of the From the Finney podcast. I'm joined by Jimmy, Brownie and Ollie for this one. We're going to talk about pre-season, the window so far, what's to come in the window. Uh, We've got voice notes from Sam, Solly and George. And then, yeah, we've got our predictions to make and we'll finish up with a little chat with Tom Little, uh, who recently left the club. He was the head of performance for... Eight seasons, worked under Simon Grayson, Alex Neal and Frankie McAvoy. So yeah, enjoy. Ollie, Brownie, are you well? Very well, thank you. Good, thanks mate. Good, good. Yeah, I know I said in the intro that I'm joined by Jimmy. Um, becoming a bit of a habit this, but he's running late. Shock. Um, yeah, you'll have to bear with me as well. I've got a bit of a cold at the minute, a bit bunged up. Uh, but yeah, boys, good to have you back. It's uh, episode two of season four. Um, Crazy back. that I know yeah Remember me and you all them years ago Chatting shit when you were off your tits <laughs> Don't Holy remember that, that is, Not you brownie Yeah don't, don't remember that Jake really but... yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> um, Yeah as I used to say at the start of these episodes If you like what we do here at From the Finney On the podcast You can support us um, If you head over to supporter.acast.com forward slash from the finney uh, any donations that are received are massively appreciated and they help to to keep the pod running uh, alternatively if you're listening on apple podcasts you can leave us a review or if you're listening on the spotify app you can leave us a star rating on there i'm not really sure what the star rating on spotify does but it looks good i think we're on like 4.9 out of 5 now which is uh, pretty decent yeah boys Obviously, Jimmy will join us when uh, he's got whatever he needs to get sorted. But pre-season uh, is done and dusted. I've had a little bit of a chat with um, Tom Little, who used to... He was he was at the club for eight seasons, worked with Grayson, uh, Frankie and Alex. Or Alex and Frankie, if we're going in order. And he he's obviously had loads to say about pre-season, the importance of it. But, you know, the results, Brig, 3-0. That's an obligatory win, really. Uh, lost 1-0 against Tranmere behind closed doors. Lost against Catafe. Uh, beat Hearts 2-1 and lost against Leicester 2-1. I know, obviously... The, At Crinton. Oh, yeah, Aki as well. Um, forgot about that. Don't know how. <laughs> nice nice day in the sun in East Lancashire with you, Ollie, having a couple of pints. Yep. Another memorable day. Um I know some people read more into the results of pre-season than perhaps 
is ever warranted. But where where do you two stand on it? Is it just a, a sort of a necessary evil to get ready for the season, or do you look a little bit deeper at, at what's gone on? Don't look at results at all, but interesting to see the tactical stuff for me. Um, I saw a graph the other day on Twitter about uh, top six in the Prem, how their pre-season results correlate to their first 10 league fixtures. And there's very little correlation between if you win pre-season and if you win in the league. But I thought the Hearts game in particular last week was quite interesting from a tactical point of view. Um, but unfortunately, the uh, the footage hasn't been uploaded onto p and I follow all, I scout. Um, but for me, it's mainly just about looking at different tactical things, how he uses the centre-backs, different midfield dynamics, and then obviously he's tried 3-4-3, three, 3-5-2. Three, three, um, and obviously just seeing the new players in the flesh, but I'm not really bothered about results. I'm not sure if Ryan Lowe is. I know most managers aren't, but uh, no injuries is the main, main thing. And obviously only Maguire's been injured, but that was very early on. So I think Diaby's got a bit of a knock as well. But apart from that, Seems to have come through it pretty well. Yeah, I think Ollie summed it up perfectly well there in terms of results do mean absolutely nothing um, in this scenario, especially when you are trying out new things, which Lowe has done, um, which I think is interesting because I think he's made a point of saying that he wants to focus on the opposition a little bit more than he did last season, which is an improvement in my eyes, um, as much as people don't like that. People seem to think that you should only focus on yourselves and not focus on the opposition, which I think is a bit bizarre. But in order to do that, he's going to try out new things in pre-season. And, you know, if you lose a game, concede a goal here and there, then, you know, so be it. You learn from it, don't you, and move on. Um, so as long as we're right for, for Wigan um, on Saturday, then, yeah, who cares? I think as well, if you look at when he came in, I think he came in in December, right in the middle of the season, last season. Um so apart from international breaks, it's been a very full-on schedule. He's probably not had much time to put his actual... Obviously, you can tell there was a bit of a, a change in style, but you can see a lot more tactical things this pre-season. Um, so like Brownie says, as long as we're ready for Wigan, um, that's the main thing. But I can see quite a lot of different tactical tweaks coming through. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how adventurous we are. I think at Deepdale, we're going to try and be quite expansive. Um probably still be relatively balanced away from home but yeah um, as I said before the main thing about pre-season is getting players in as early as possible and no injuries um, so I think be quite happy to get Woodburn uh, Woodburn and Brady in quite early and obviously the, the two new lads this week um, have a full week on the training ground I reckon Parrot will probably start uh, mainly because we've got very few other options but uh been quite a decent pre-season it's gone quite quick for me yeah we, we were saying weren't we at the start how it felt like it was a short one but I think you know everything that's coming out of the club and obviously the players aren't going to say anything different but a lot of them are saying how hard it's been how hard they've worked um, and yeah it's flown by I know the season's starting earlier than usual obviously Burnley uh, where are they away at Huddersfield on Friday I think they are yeah aren't they? yeah yeah um, yeah, I do think they all then. say that though, don't they, Jay? Every interview, yeah, of course, of course they do. Course oh, they it's do. the hardest pre-season I've ever had. This, you know. Well, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, that, that's what I was going to say. I think, you know, the season is starting a bit earlier than usual, but, you know, the proof's going to be in the pudding, isn't it? It's not, it's not just about Wigan either. It's, you know, the, the full season. It's, to, to coin, for another cliche on the podcast, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, I think the, it's actually quite interesting because this is the first pre-season since Grayson where we've had like a genuinely fresh impetus. Obviously, John Lucas has come in. Um, and obviously Ryan Lowe's got his own pre-season methods obviously going away for the first time since I can remember really I don't know if we ever went away apart from Ireland under Alex Neal or Grayson um, Does Scotland count under Grayson? No it doesn't count Jake so <laughs> it's probably the first time in like seven, eight, nine years that a lot of these players have had a completely fresh pre-season so, and we have tended to start seasons quite slowly um, so it'll be interesting to see if there's actually a genuine difference not just in performance but in fitness levels um and like yeah going away for 10 days or whatever it was five days um and then yeah just not having that many games but obviously doing a lot of work on the training ground so be interesting to see especially comparing it to like the Sunderland as well um but yeah I'm not actually sure how Ryan Lowe's teams have tended to start seasons um but yeah, it'll be interesting. And the players obviously do look quite sharp from what I've seen. Look really sharp against Hearts and then seen bits and pieces of other games as well. So some players in particular, I think Ben Whiteman looks really sharp. I think DJ looks pretty sharp. Um, interesting you should mention Ben Whiteman then. Uh, obviously, my chat with Tom Little will come up in in a short while. Uh, but he, he mentioned specifically Ben Whiteman um, and what a model professional he is, what an athlete he is and, and the way that he looks after himself and, you know, treats his work because that's what it is for them at the end of the day, isn't it? It's work. Mm. Um, and I think you can you could see this pre-season. He looks like he's bulked up a little bit. He looks a little bit bigger, um, but he, he doesn't look too big. He looks still trim. Um, mm. And when he... When he Pulled on the uh, the white boots with the white shot with the white socks and the white strapping uh, in that yellow kit, Aki. It was quite a sight to behold, wasn't it, Ollie? Certainly. But uh, the one I always think of when you talk about a player coming back and looking different is Jordan Hugel. I think it was in 2017. He came back. Um, I think the season before was just a bit bit part. He came back an absolute physical specimen, um, and then that obviously had a massive impact on his performance. So. One of the issues I've had, not issues, but concerns about Ben Whiteman has been turnovers against the ball and counter-pressing. Um, and he just looks a lot sharper, so yeah. You can tell he's a model professional. And he, I think he lives and breathes football from what I've heard as well. Yeah, I think he's done uh, He's done a few footy pods as well, hasn't he? I know he's done NTT 20 in the past, uh, I think during lockdown. And I think for a professional to go out of the way and talk about football in that capacity on a podcast... Um, you know, you've you've got to love what you do, which I think Ben Whiteman clearly does. Do you think? Obviously, we touched on Low saying about how he needs to. Uh, I think you said respect the opponents a little bit more, Brownie. Obviously, I'm not not quoting Ryan verbatim because I, I don't have the quote in front of me. Um, but do you think that is something that we're going to see a little bit more of this season? Low setting up his teams a little bit differently. Um, Ollie, I know you said. One thing you look for in pre-seasons is um, different tactical tweaks and tactical changes. Have you seen anything 
in the games that you have seen that makes you think that Ryan might take different approaches this season against certain opposition? Um, well, I, I just from, from a general point of view, like, I think it's a little bit naive to go into the Championship and think that you're going to be able to um, strictly play the way you want to play, especially when you're a club like us and you've got the personnel like we have. You know, we'll touch on the other clubs later on in the division, but you know, you, you're talking clubs with real individual quality that play in the Premier League compared to what we've got. So I think you've got to be a little bit smarter and play each game, you know, um, take it individually. And if that means focusing a little bit more on the opposition, then so be it. You know, that's how smaller clubs get further up the table. Um, so I think he's he probably he probably looked at it and thought, you know what, I probably need to be a little bit more cautious at times and, um, yeah, play the individual game. I think I remember being on pod at the end of last season, Jake, where I was trying to say that you can't really get promoted with substandard players playing your own style of football religiously. Um, I think Swans is going to be an interesting case this season, but you do need to be very pragmatic. And I think we've seen a couple of games under Ryan Lowe where we've been sort of out of sight at half-time. I mean, the opposition have been out of sight at half-time in terms of being 2-0 up or 3-0 up. Um, and we were relying on coming from behind quite a lot. Remember quite a few home games we came from behind to salvage a draw. Uh, I think there was a game we were three 0 down at home. Um, United was it? Might have been Reading. Was it Reading? Yeah, Sheffield um, were two down and down to yeah. ten, weren't we? Yeah. So there's been a few different scenarios where clearly we've been just focusing on ourselves, which Lo has sp- spoken about quite a lot, but. You can't do that in the championship because as soon as teams realise you can lock onto Ben Whiteman and you can go man for man against our front two, you can get completely overrun in the midfield. Um, and that did happen quite a few times. So I think he has tried different things. Obviously, in possession, the centre-backs at Deepdale are going to be a lot more expansive. Um, but just in terms of different shapes, so I think he's played a box midfield in one game. I think he's played two behind a striker. Obviously, he's played two strikers. He's played his centre-backs as a narrow three, but then he's also used the wide centre-backs as full-backs, really, in possession. Um, I think he's had um, Whiteman with another midfielder a bit deeper alongside rather than two tens. He's had Woodburn off Reese as a 10-slash-striker. So he's tried loads of different things, to be fair to him, which... Over 46 games, I think you're naive, like Brownie says, if you think you can play the same system 46 times, especially with our level of player. Um, and like obviously, Luton and, and, and even Huddersfield under Corbran, they didn't really have a set style last season. They were just stifling the opposition. Um, obviously, Ryan Lowe doesn't want to just stifle the opposition, but you do need to be a bit more pragmatic and... Obviously, that was his first, however many games, probably had 25 games coaching at championship level. So he's probably played every team in the division, about every team, and he's probably learned quite a lot. So if he can take that on board, obviously he's still developing as a manager, then that should only improve us. Do you think as well that that's where he'll be looking to the likes of Mike Marsh, who's been, been around the block a little bit more, to to sort of lean on them and say, like, look, where can we maybe make tweaks and changes here to better increase our chances against X and Y teams, or, you know, like maybe coming up against the Swansea who are going to have loads of the ball, or Millwall, who 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Ollie, but a mill wall that are going to be hard to break down, and you know what you know what you're going to you're going to get from a mill wall, really. Um, yeah, I guess that's where he is going to look at someone like Mike Marsh to lean on a little bit more and for a little bit yeah. more guidance, especially at this level. Yeah, I suppose Galley as well. You know, he's played at this level for so many years under different types of managers. Managers who can be like Grayson and Neil, who can play that way. So, yeah, I think he's got some uh, tools at his disposal if he wants to use them, certainly. Um, and he'd be foolish not to, wouldn't he? Yeah, very much yeah. so. Very much so. Um, let's talk about the work that's been done in the window. Um, obviously, Woodman, Woodburn, Cornell, Brady, Parrott and Fernandez have all arrived uh, so far. What, what do you make of what you've seen from Woodman and Woodburn and Brady? Well, I'll just say, on paper, I think it's probably one of the best windows we've had in a long time. Um, obviously, the, the two this week have made a massive difference, but obviously seeing Brady the first time when I was sitting with you at Crinton in the flesh, it's quite clear what he is. He's got no 1v1 ability, but he's outstanding passing range and tempo. Um and be interesting because I've not actually seen much of Fernandez. I've not seen any of him actually apart from a YouTube video today, but he looks like he's the complete opposite in terms of skill set. Um, so I think it's very important to have 1v1 quality um, as a wing back, which I don't really have. But I think Woodman's a good signing. I think he's undersized. I remember saying to you, I think he was undersized, Jake. Um, seen him flap at a couple on the weekend. But I think he's just going to be that kind of keeper. Um and then obviously Woodburn, I was quite happy with Woodburn on a free because I think we've needed another number 10 type, especially right-footed one, change the angle of the attack. Um, and I think that's quite a decent pickup, to be fair. So quite happy with the business. And obviously Troy Parrott is a player that I've loved for about 12 months. Um, and I never thought North End would have the chance to sign him. So that's a massive signing for me. There's been a lot made about the signing of Brady and... And there's been a lot of talk about his crossing, but if I'm being honest, then, you know, if there's going to be an over-reliance on Brady's crossing, then you do worry for Reese, don't you? Because that's not his strong point in the box. He's not great in the air. He saw the chance at Crinton, he missed. And I think a lot of his best players, you know, getting in behind and, you know, through balls or balls over the top. So um, I do fear for him if that's the way we're going to play with Brady on the field. I don't know what Parrot's like in, in the box. Um, so, so, he's yeah. Good so. In, he's, he's good in a cage. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, context here, Jimmy's joined us late and I've told him to mute himself. All he's had to turn his camera off because he's pissing himself because he's got Brownie with a Parrot joke. And Brownie can't believe that he's Got, got. Well, I knew as soon as I said box then, I knew exactly what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, neither of them strikers are strikers that you really want attacking crosses. Uh, but I think what we're going to do is going to have the two strikers in the box and we're going to probably create space for the likes of Brown, McCann, or the right wing back to attack. Um, obviously, I can see... <laughs> I can see Jimmy laughing, but I'm laughing at myself. I'm sorry. Let's yeah. grow up. 
but yeah, obviously we saw McCansco arriving late into the box. I think it was actually Hughes who played the cross um, with a little combination. Um, but yeah, Parrot. I don't think Parrot's probably ever scored it. <laughs> God, we can't go through a full season like this. You can't just laugh every time you say his name. We just call him Troy instead. Yeah. Because... Okay, no, I never oh, thought Jimmy coming on the pod would bring a bit of sensibility. Uh, honestly, after what I've just listened to whilst I've been on mute, it's been ridiculous. It's absolute chaos. People are well, dropping the shoulder left, right and centre. <laughs> you just couldn't help yourself, could you? Oh, oh my God. I've had fun this week. Well, yeah, just on the original point about Brady, I think that is why we have brought in Fernandez as well. Um, and obviously, Fernandez will have had a lot of assurances that he's going to play a decent amount of minutes. So that is quite an interesting dynamic for me. Because um, Has Brady not the, played more than 20 games in a season for like the last four seasons or something? Yeah, well? I think I think that's correct. Um, so he, need, he needed competition, didn't he? You know, that was, that was obvious. Yeah. But I think the one thing that was pretty obvious was Brady's got absolutely no 1v1 skill. So he needs to be... I think he's going to play in, in, in games potentially at Deep Bear where we've got a lot more sustained territory. Um, he's going to get a lot of the ball in the final third and just create things. Because he obviously he can cross, but he's also got just good vision just to pick out little passes. Um, so we've gone from having really poor options on the left to potentially outstanding options. Just as well. I'm not sure Reese actually ever scored a header. Just thinking about it. He's not for us, definitely not. I don't even think he's had many chances with headers. No, he doesn't even get not, anywhere near it. No, he's, he's 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 tall, but he's not that kind of player, is he? You can't play that way within the team, though. You just can't. There's no point. You're completely wasting your time if you play that way with him. So you kind of play to his strengths, which is why he was just gonna say, so successful playing, last season. Yeah, if you're playing that way, you're not playing to his strengths, are you? Which doesn't bode well if that's the case. But uh, as I say, I think that the, the crossing will be more about getting the midfielders and the, and the wing-backs into the box as well. Because hopefully you've got strikers occupying defenders, create space to sort of angle the ball into onrushing deeper players, um, which I did. I think Brown isn't actually quite good at that. Um I think Potts is pretty good at attacking the box late from the other side. Obviously, it remains to be seen what happens with him. But I, well, think, I think we have mentioned didn't we he, have when, got the personnel. When Brown scored for Ireland that header, he mentioned he said, "Well, I'd get him in the box more if I could, you know, if we had people who could cross." Yeah. So you think it's going to utilise Brown more in the box, which is where he's most dangerous in it. So it can only be a good thing. I think Woodburn also scored against Hearts across from the right, a little pullback. Uh, I think he arrived quite arrived late. late yeah. Yeah. So was was Emil's goal against Accrington not quite similar? That's more DJ going out the left, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, that pull was more of a, I think that was more of a bit of a combination. But yeah. Before Jimmy before you're on, Jimmy, just speaking about different tactical tweaks. Um so I think the arriving into the box and just getting more bodies in there is definitely one of them. Yeah, this playing two eights or two advantage, whatever you want to call it, I think that's going to see that happen a lot more. So at the end of the day, if we go with this shape of playing one up front and then two behind, it could be that Parrot takes one of those two eight spots so he'll play more of an eight-ten role. Because he does seem to be more of a combination player, doesn't he? Yeah. So, 
Um, and then obviously he's been the sole nine. I thought I watched most of the Hearts game and I thought he looked quite quite isolated at times. Uh, or was it the Leicester game? The one where he was playing as a one up front at home, I think it might be Leicester actually. Leicester. I just thought he looked really isolated and it just reminded me when this is a really bad comparison, but we were playing Jaden Stockley up there on, on his own when he was just miles away from everybody else and just nowhere near any sort of play, if that makes sense. It just, it wasn't him. He needs to be in a two, and whether that's with a 10 or with someone that's playing high up the pitch. You know, because I think he looked better in the second half when we had two up there. Um, Do you not think there's been a bit of an over-reliance on Emil this pre-season because of his lack of options up front? Like, he's not really given many minutes to Mikey O'Neill or many of the kids for that matter. Um, and I think Emil's played the majority of most games. Hmm. I think that's that's just comes with the, the territory, doesn't it, really? Because when you've not got a massive squad of pros, because we haven't, have we, really? If you think about our squad, it's topped up with kids, you know, and I, I mean, not the nicest possible way I can, like 17, 18, 19-year-olds, but topping up our squad. And ultimately, that was the way it had to go. Um, so, yeah, we are going to rely on our main striker because we sort of need him. I mean, at this moment in time, he's probably one of the few that's guaranteed to start alongside Whiteman and, in my head, DJ, Hughes and the keeper. Everything else, is a little, well, I know obviously Parrot and Alvaro Fernandez have come in, so they're probably going to be Shoeings from next from probably next week, if we're honest, um, as part of the loan arrangements. But the rest of the positions are pretty much up for grabs in my eyes. Yeah. Do you think then from from next week, from well from Saturday, um, that Parrot and Reese is going to be the first choice partnership for the time being until this this coveted second striker comes in. If, if, I think uh, I think Parra will start forty games. Me, he's I think he's outstanding. Mm. I've got Peony don't really sign these players that I really like, but just love it. Say, there's a lot of a lot of words being said tonight that I never thought I'd hear you mutter on here. What parrot? <laughs> no. Never mind. Say. I just um, you know, honestly, I just I do think though, like, like I, I'm skeptical if we're gonna bring a second another striker in. It's maybe me just being realistic, but when you've got a male race and you've got a guy that's gonna be playing 45 games uh, over the course of the season, Troy Parrot, you know, as part of the agreement, like as long as he's playing well, you then got Evans, Maguire, O'Neill as your backup three. If when Maguire gets fit, only if we lose one of those three, I'd have thought we'd bring one more in. I know he wants to, but I want lots of things in life, but ultimately you can't get them not half the time. You do, if he, he'd probably scupper another loan because then, you know, especially a youth loan, is they're going to be guaranteed to play? Mm-hmm. Um, I think a permanent striker, I don't think it stop us getting a permanent striker, but I don't know whether we'll get one. But probably, probably Maguire's injuries probably made things a little bit more difficult because we could, could have got him out the door because Cardiff wanted him in January, didn't they? So he's obviously got some suitors. Um, but that injury's not helped. And, you know, Parrot's going to be guaranteed games. Reese scored 20 goals last season. 
you're another yeah. youth player, are you going to come? You know, I've got guaranteed games. No, that's the thing, like, the other thing with Maguire, he's out of contract in 12 months. You know, if, you're gonna, if you want a fee for him, you've got to get it now because you're not going to get a fee in January. So well, if you're not good, who's paying for an injured player now? Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. But who's who's taking him in general? Like because unless he goes now, it goes on a probably a free or a nominal fee in in January. That's it, you know. Or he, or he walks out the door when his contract's up next summer if we don't renew. And I, I really struggled to see us renewing him at this moment in time because it's not a player he was ultimately, and as sad as that is. That's the reality of the situation with Maguire. He's not the player he was, but he's also probably not the player that Ryan Lowe wants either. I think Ryan Lowe loves that kind of striker for his system. He just you need that striker to score goals as well, don't yeah, you? Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, the parrot is just a massive upgrade on Maguire. They're quite similar mm. players. Uh, parrot is an outstanding upgrade. That, that's what you should do to build squads. And that's a perfect oh. example of squad building. Archer, is that is that possible? Are we are we foolish for even thinking about it happening, or where, where do you all stand on that? Cameron Archer only comes to this football club if we lose him early. I just think he's better than us, so I just don't think. I think he could, I think he can play in the Premier League already, mate. Mm. I, I just don't. And um, Gerard said he's going to keep him around until he signs someone. Well, that's apparently what he said. I just can't see who's getting him. I don't I'd see how it benefits. Around. I don't think, see how it benefits Archer either coming to us, really. Yeah, I'd, the thing is, I think there's five subs in the Prem now this season. Same, same in Ali. Yeah. So, yeah. and Gerard plays two strikers quite a lot, so he's going to want to have two strikers on the bench. I'd mm. keep him around. Obviously, I just think he's a natural finisher, and yeah. even in the Prem, they don't come around that often. Then. Um, Especially if you combine him with another striker. You put and him you next to Watkins. In, you throw in the fact that he's 20. You know, he's got loads of learning, loads of improvement to make. And being in and around that squad, getting 10, 15 minutes as a fifth sub. I think he'll start games, mate. If he stayed there, I've, I've got very little doubts about Archer. I'd yeah. be shocked if he went back into the champ. Because obviously some players do need an extra season. Like Troy Parrott went to Millwall way too early when he was 18. But Archer's look just looks ready. Um, obviously, everyone develops at different rates. Like Stefan Mavadidi was miles off it when he came to us, but Archer it just looks ready. So, and like Brownie says, I don't really see how he benefits coming to Peony. I just don't see how that improves him more than he can improve at Villa or at another club. So, yeah, it improves us as a team. Like, and don't wrong, he was he was very good last season. But I just, I don't see him coming back here because, you know, if he comes back here, you've got to guarantee him game time, a bit similar to like how he, he was guaranteed game time from January pretty much here. And you've got to play him with power, really, haven't you? If we're guaranteeing two kids loan time, as well as Alvaro, you know, who drops or, out Reece. Or does he Or does he change the shape to fit Reese and Parrot and Archer in? I, I, I struggle with that because he's very much... Set on three five two, you know to go three four one two. Well, we've not seen it all pre season. They're playing a power, you know, play power behind the front two. I just don't see it. Just don't see him doing that. And then you've got you have two sitters. You can have you can have Whiteman plus either DJ or Brown. 
unless you move Brown to right wing back. And he, he seems quite reluctant to do that at this moment in time. So I really struggle with it. I, I don't see I don't see Arch coming back unless we lost Reese. I think the signing of Parrots obviously changed the situation, hasn't it? Because hmm. it's almost as if, you know, were we after him all summer or was it a case of we've kind of thought, well, we're not going to get Archer anymore, so we may as well get Parrot in. And then obviously the Robinson situation as well, where we've been messing around with that for a few weeks now. So I just don't see where Archer fits in, if I'm perfectly honest. I think... You always find room for them players if, if they're in the building. I think you'd play. Oh, no, no, um, I don't mean that. But, I mean, I just don't feel where he fits into our yeah uh, our transfer window now. Yeah, if we yeah. kind of move on to something different. Is that just, something different? Is that Robinson, do you think, Brownie? Or someone like that? Uh, like you said, a, I just say a permanent you know, transfer? I, I think I think Parrot and Robinson are very similar players, but I think Parrot and Archer are completely different players. So Yeah. But it would be very rare to have two outstanding Premier League strikers on low. I can't really remember <clears> it happening that often. It's normally one or the other, isn't it, really? Yeah. Yeah. Archer's an out-and-out nine. Parrot's more of a tenor than he? He's more of a link-up man. So I'm sound I'm sound of it, like, in terms of bringing him in, because I think it's the right move forwards. It's probably the right move for Emile, you know, in terms of what he needs up there. And then you've got Chell off the bench, Maguire, whatever happens with him. O'Neill is a bit of the raw option. Probably needs a loan. Um, if he's not going to get a look in here, but it's what it, you know that is what it is, isn't it really? But I, I just I can't see Arch coming back. I, I really can't. And like Holly said before, I, I genuinely think he's. I watched they get. I watched a bit of the United Villa game the other day, and like seeing him come on and play against a team like that, I thought, how are we going? How is he coming here? You know, I just I just can't see it happening. He scored for Villa at Stamford Bridge last season in the cup. Mm. And- I've seen him a couple of times and he just he's not out of his depth at all at the level. So I I just find it really strange if he's gonna go especially if he goes to like a dead club like Watford. I just it it disappoint me that. But I think he's ready, but I think Gerard likes the experience. He doesn't mm. obviously he's got the the outstanding uh number eight, Jacob Ramsey, but apart from that, I think he obviously he likes Danny Ings, Watkins. But, yeah. I think a lot of moves are going to happen late though, aren't they? A lot of moves are going to happen late in, into August and if he moves, he moves then. Like, talking about Manuel Dennis at Watford might move but not for another week or so. So if the, if he leaves Watford, I can see him going there because it's probably the right fit. Rob Edwards seems a decent coach yeah. brought in there. So, I think he's, he's got an experienced coach in England youth levels as well. Plays two up yeah. front. But is that a little hint towards your predictions there, Jimmy? What do you mean, my predictions? With uh... oh, my predictions speak for themselves. Uh, just... we'll, we'll come on to that in a bit. I just thought the just, little, just, uh... just a quick point uh, on Parrot. Um, <clears throat> I think he does allow you to play three four two one as well. Two number tens. Uh, I think I, I think that's where he might play. You know, like, yeah. he might play him in a DJ sort of. He can play. You know, he can play DJ, or he can play Woodburn uh, alongside. So you mm. can parrot that that kind of player makes the front three or whatever. It's going to be quite flexible. Um, he played. He played left wing. He played left forward in a three. Played nine. 
he played nine. Um, so, yeah, we'll just see. I think he makes us quite flexible. And I think so does Woodburn as well. Number eight, number mm-hmm. ten, second striker. I think the, the sort of players that we've, we've lacked to get between the lines in the final third. We've, we've been quite blunt in the final third for quite a few years. In terms of this window, then, there's been a bit of talk about um, not much squad building in terms of for the future. Do you think for Ryan's reign at North End, it is going to be shit or bust over a season or two? Honestly, all the eggs are in one basket, aren't they, at the minute? Because it is quite short-termist as an approach in terms of going down the loan route I know Ollie you've been quite vocal about this with me in particular but I don't mind us going down the loan route if it tops up the squad with with quality but you also need to be bringing through your own talent in terms of either through your academy or bringing in talent from a transfer perspective that you can then sell on in future years so when we got a meal you know that was one definitely for the future what do we pay about 1.2 1.3 million quid for him Probably worth, I'd probably say, eight, nine million pounds now to Premier League club bottom half, give or take market value wise. You know, that and, and that is, you can call it a trader concept, whatever you want to call it, but that's what we need to do as a football club because ultimately we're spending well above our means on wages compared to our turnover. Yeah. And I think we've only got three saleable assets, really, if you look at the squad uh, Reese, Whiteman. And the keeper, and the keeper's an unknown quantity for us so far, you know, and that's just going off his reputation. Likely, as Newcastle have got a bit of a chunky selling fee as well, so we'd have to make a decent bit of money on him to to make it yeah. right. The other thing with that is the keeper market's completely crashed since COVID. You don't really see big fees for keepers at the minute. Um, I do, obviously, I do understand from personal experience how hard it is to sign permanent deals, especially young players. Um, but I just feel like, like Jimmy says, there's probably two or three saleable assets in the whole squad. And we've been rooting around all summer. We've been relying on Villa, relying on Spurs, United. Um, obviously, didn't get the green light from Villa. Obviously, relying on West Brom to come to an agreement for Robinson. So our whole transfer window has been in the hands of other clubs about giving the green light for loan players. Um, and obviously, it's taken five or six weeks of pre-season to get Parrot in and Alvarez. Who's Alvarez? Fernandez. I keep doing that. you got but, Julian yeah. Alvarez on, on your mind. I've got Parrot on my mind for some reason. But, um, yeah, it just, it does concern me a bit because even if you look at the players that we brought back in, so we brought Diaby back in, you can't really see him being sold on now at his age, 24. Story the same. He's not going to sell upwards, is he? Obviously got Cunningham, Bauer, Lindsay, uh, you know, Brady, Potts, Brown's probably missed the boat. DJ's got a year left. McCann. Chad Evans. McCann needs to prove himself. Again, I'm not sure he can really sell him up. Um so we are just in a bit of a I'd say it's somewhat of an impasse with the squad. I think there's a, a lot out of contracts again next summer. Um, obviously we had a lot of contract this summer which gave us a bit more leeway to spend on the wages but even the, the permanents we were linked with Andre Gray 31 Cyrus Christie about 30 Lee Peltier early on Mozart Abadjo so there's been 
the permanents we've been linked with weren't really assets anyway. So just been a strange one. I'm not really sure what the long-term ambition is, but like Jimmy says, I think all our eggs are in, in, in the immediate basket. Well, we've had two windows under low now and pretty much all the signings have been loans or, you know, these short-term buys now. And even Diaby was already in the building before we signed him, so he's not really a low signing. Um, so if that's the way we're going, then it's kind of, right, let's give it a good go for 12, 12 months, two years, see what happens and then move on. But where does that leave us then? You know, all your loan players go back, your players go out of contract, <laughs> and you're in big trouble, aren't you? So you've got to be careful. I think an issue as well with three-five-two is your squad becomes quite unbalanced. So we've got a lot of centre-backs on the books, probably six, seven centre-backs, and we've got wing-backs. We don't really have wingers. So you, you're kind of wedded to that formation. Um, so you either, you either go down the route of just employing coaches who play that formation, or you have to change the squad massively and then, you know, stick to a different formation. So, because if we wanted to go and play 4-3-3 tomorrow, we'd probably struggle to get the personnel. Because um, I'm not sure how, who could play fullback for us. And I'm not sure who could play wing for us. That's the problem with wing backs for me, because it's, it's a weird role. Um, so just from like a squad balance, squad building point of view, it's a bit tricky. I do wonder whether they saw what happened with Set and Iverson and thought, because, you know, the message before them was, oh, we don't want to sign loan players because um, you're training up. Yeah, you don't want to pay to train players. up someone else's player. But it worked so well with Iverson and Sepp, and you think, well, have they thought, mm, we might utilise that a little bit more? Um, because the loan players we did get in the past were like Mavadidi and yeah. um, players who weren't ready. But, you know, if you're getting players that are ready to go, quality players, yeah. um, then it can work for you, can't it? I think that's something that the club's realised. Like, we've we've clearly gone up a level of pedigree in terms of the loans we've brought in. Um, if they could have done that in 2018, 19, 20, that would have been fantastic. Um, but obviously, better late than never to realise. But, yeah, it's funny yeah. that we've gone from not wanting to train up other people's other clubs' players to now sort of relying on it. Um, I don't, look, generally... Are loans that much cheaper than permanent signings, or is there's, is, well, there's is obviously in it? there's obviously a lot less of a long term commitment, isn't there? Yeah, of um, course, but there's there's all sorts of fees and stipulations that come with them. Yeah, I'm just I think the point I'm trying to make is is that does there not come a point in a window where a club is perhaps better looking at instead of spending this money on a loan, put it towards a permanent signing or two and we're building for the future in terms of we're not having to spend this like a million quid loan fee maybe. I don't know if that's what we've paid or if it's anywhere near covering a percentage of their wages, guaranteeing play time. You know, you don't you don't have to guarantee a permanent player game time. You, they sign a three year contract and you can let them rot for three years if you, you want. The, the only thing I would say is I got, I'm got i very happy with the loan signings. My issue is more the permanent signings we've made or attempted to make. Mm. Yeah. The loans are outstanding. I mean, even Woodburn's an option, isn't he? One-year option. That's it. Yeah, I think the permanents, you know, Brady, one year, like you just said, Brownie, Woodburn, one year with a, a one-year plus. 
it doesn't scream these are players that we've got faith in for the long term, does it? Well, there's also Woodman as well, keeper. Yeah. So Even that was, that, alone, was that was a loan initially, wasn't it, I think? And probably a deal came about. Yeah, that was what yeah. wanted initially. Yeah, so what's he signed a three-year? No, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, cool, I'm cool with that because that's, that's, that's your squad building element. But we need more of it. I, I know it's difficult. I know it, the, the market out there is a little bit strange at the minute in terms of permanent signings. But ultimately, if you, if you can bring in people on a free that are 23, 24, 25, you know, that are maybe not the finished article, but players that you can coach and develop to being good championship players. And obviously, that'd be amazing. I get they're not in abundance. I, I know that's probably blue sky thinking from that perspective, but we need to be identifying talent now for next summer. Because like we're we're already talking about next summer, you know, as a podcast, you know, we're talking about the fact that your likes of DJ Ledson, um, who else is a, a saleable asset? That's probably it. To be fair, um, they're out of contract. You know, look at the list: Cunningham, Lindsay, Lindsay is on like we brought him into the club, like, and he won't be cheap. All of Sunday, God, no idea where he is. Um, have it. Likewise, O'Reilly in Ireland not coming back. I don't think Evans won't be renewed. I would, I would have thought he's thirty-four now, is he? Maguire again, don't see being renewed. Colton gone out on loan to Chester. Brady and Woodburn, Woodburn might renew, but it depends on how he does this season. And you know, we're sort of we're nowhere near as the sort of that Fab Five, whatever you want to call them. You know, where we had that winter of discontent, you know, in terms of five of our best players going out of contracts all at the same time. But we just need to be on the front foot with it, in my eyes. Yeah. I think it does come in cycles as well. So we're obviously at the low end of a cycle now. But to be fair to the club, they have, in the past, they have had a lot of assets on the books. Um, and it's, it's, it's obviously quite hard to get them in at a championship level. But there has been them out there. For me, like I say, the loans are outstanding, but it's when you're trying to sign the likes of Andre Gray, out of Joe Brady on a one year. It just all seems quite short termist. Uh, but I think we all know that Ryan Lowe is here for the for the here and now, um, and it's it's a good championship season for me to have a go. So I've got a good go. Yeah, last one then before we come on to the start of the predictions. So obviously, there's been talk of Ryan wants two more in. Um, we have a right wing back shaped hole and the talk seems to be that we've we're we're in the market for a second striker. Where where do you boys see as a priority? Would you prioritise right wing back and a striker? Would you say that a centre back and a striker is maybe a bit more of a priority or maybe even a centre back and a right wing back is more of a priority? Where where do you stand on what we've got left to do between now and the end of the window? I'm not sure we need another striker. I, I, I would, yeah, I think we do need a right wing back, in all honesty. Um, be interesting if he starts on Saturday. Um, I, think, I think we need defensive cover, me. I, I'm nervous as hell about our back line. Because if Hughes gets a knock, <laughs> I'm, I'm very twitchy about that already. Yeah. If, if Hughes got a knock and ruled him out for a few weeks, you know, we've got about seven league games between now and the end of August. Oh, I'm nervous yeah. about that. I think the the fact we've come very reliant on Andrew Hughes says enough about the battle line. Um, 
and Greg has just dropped off a cliff physically for me. Um, the weird thing for me was the right centre-back situation because the RB doesn't fit the system if you want to play play through. And Story for me is more of a a stopper. Um, and then I think Potts had a really poor pre-season, you know, performance-wise. I think he's been really poor. Um, and I think he was okay last season, but I think there was a bit of overrating coming into it. Just gonna say, do you not think his poor preseason has perhaps carried over a little bit from the end of last season? I don't think he was great at the end of last I, season. I don't I think he was but poor. I think, I think he's I think he's the just thing a workhorse was the, there's, there's no quality to, to his play. He's just he works hard, he's athletic. Well, he even says that himself, doesn't he? he? Takes a piss. I'm just a big, big horse. But I think the thing with Potts and you know, I, I like him, I think we're all fans of him on here. He's never even under Alex, he's never nailed down a, a position, has he? He's never had. He's played centre mid. He's played as a, a, a running ten. He's played on the right. Um, he's played up, probably up front as well. He, he's never really nailed down a position until he got put in that right wing back spot. And his performances became, I think the word is probably consistent. I wouldn't say they were amazing or, you know, I don't think he was ever regularly hitting eight, eight and a half, nine out of ten performances every week. I think he just became a steady player in a steady position. And without wanting to knock him, because again, as I just said, I'm a fan of him, I do think that there was a little bit of overrating there because he just found this consistency that he'd never had. I think what with Potts was, he was best when he works in certain games or when he was brought on at certain times. Um, he's never been player who's going to play every week. I think what's happened is he got put into that position and definitely a stopgap, and he's done all right, hasn't he? And I think people have got a little bit too carried away. The goal against Stokes, obviously, given a little bit of... Uh, people got a little bit excited then, but <clears throat> long-term, you know, he's not the answer, is he? So I'd say that's probably the, the key area at the minute. I agree with Jimmy about the defence, not convinced by the defence at all. And then probably you'd look for that extra striker at the end of that if I was going to do it that way around. I think another thing, I, think I mentioned it probably in February, March, is Bauer. I don't think he's had a great preseason either. Um, and he's not featured as heavily as I thought he might do, really. So I think well, it's quite tight between him and Lindsay. Lindsay's featured eyes. a little bit more than Pat, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I did have my concerns about Bauer in terms of being isolated and then in possession. I don't, he doesn't really give you anything. Um, so that's one to look out for so then if sort of looking at if Hughes did get injured you'd be looking at maybe a Cunningham, Lindsay DRB back three maybe something like that um, that's minging isn't it and that just <laughs> lend, that lends itself towards the bottom reaches of the division rather than the top six so mm. I'm really surprised he's not going for a ball playing right centre back because we have lost Seb at, the, Seb at the end of the day and the quality in that area has, has gone for me yeah um, big fan of the RB if you're playing in, in a different system without the ball let him press man to man or let him cover the channels he'd be, he'd be perfect I'm not really sure he's going to fit into this system same as Story and the thing about <clears throat> the thing about defenders in certain systems is you can make them look shit if you play them in the wrong system you can make a decent player look horrendous not at the fault of the player Um so yeah, I think it's. I think we've been so focused on the wing backs and the strikers that we've probably just settled for what we've got there. 
But I think mm. it become pretty apparent pretty quickly that that's going to let us down. Yeah, I'm really touched by it. Just on your Potts point, ultimately, like under Voldemort, Potts played every game that was big. If it was a big game, Voldemort played Potts because he's one of them players that will literally his engine is there. He'll work his nuts off, and you know what you're going to get from him. You know that, and that's the big thing with Potts, right? You know what you can get from him. He's going to work hard. His quality is not going to be amazing, but he'll absolutely he'll run through walls for you. It sort of reminds me a bit like Lee Cartwright, um, however many games Lee Cartwright played for us, but he was the same. Like, Quality-wise, not the best. Spent more time on his arse than anything else, if we're honest, with Cartwright. But you knew what you are going to get with him every week because you'd, you'd, you'd put quality around, around him. And I'm just thinking, like, can you get away with that at this level? Can you get away with a player that's going to, you know what you're going to get from him, engine-wise, going to work his nuts off. If you surround him with, if you surround the rest of the team or, or the forward areas with quality I don't know because the championship was a lot different to what it was in 2000-2001 when Lee Cartwright were playing in the playoff final you know what I mean even, like, then, even then Cartwright Cartwright didn't last long oh exactly um, but you know he's, he's exactly the same then the thing is it's not really you can't in a 3-5-2 you can't really afford to carry a wing back because they're so important to the system mm. you can probably carry a centre back you know what I mean? You can't really yeah, carry yeah. a witter. You can't, because he's the main creative source on the right-hand side. And that's why we're going to lend ourselves towards the left-hand side so much, I think. Um, yeah, because you have DJ, Fernandez, and you have Hughes, which are all the forward-minded players. Yeah. You know, and, in sense. and I put a bit out about Hughes the other night, about having the full-backs in the wide centre-back roles. And I just love it. Do you remember when he did it? He did it out of Barnsley away in like 2019, 2020. Played a diamond, but then he, he played a, or he might have played a three and he played Fisher in a three. He did one or the other and Fisher was outstanding. And it's gone that way now with football because Chris Wilder sort of introduced it to the championship. Um, but that, Jack Robinson played there for, for Chef U. Well, that's definitely the way to go. You don't need three orthodox centre-backs. and that's you know, I don't even think you need two. I think if you've got one centre-back on the pitch, that's probably enough. If you've got two full-backs outside and a, and a sitting midfielder. Um, and I think Hughes got the assist uh, against Leicester with a nice little combination. We saw it at Stoke away when Potts scored as well. Um, so I think that's the way to go. And if we had that on the right-hand side, we'd look a lot more complete as a team. I think we've really strengthened the left-hand side. Obviously, Hughes has come to the fore. The two wing-backs, obviously, DJ strong there. And then you look at the right-hand side, you've got Diaby, Story, Potts, and you don't really have an... You can put Woodburn out there to combine, but the right-hand side lets you down a lot. So, for me, the priority will probably be a right wing-back and a right centre-back. And then if you get another striker, you get another striker. Yeah, I can't really disagree with that, to be fair. Um, yeah, we've got a few voice notes as well. Uh, Sam, Solly and George have all sent them over. So, yeah, first up, we've got some absolute gold from Solly. Arguably some of his best material. So, enjoy the next few minutes from uh, Solly. Hi guys, hope everybody's well and is raring to go for the new season which has soon come upon us after some fine weather in the summer. There's two things to note before I start with our predictions and uh, the first one is that I never know how to get the right tone with these voice memos. I don't necessarily know whether I'm talking to the listener or the lads on the podcast but I presume it is the former so I will, uh, I will direct this spiel towards the listener. 
and uh, number two is the fact that ultimately I absolutely despise doing predictions because literally any outcome is possible no matter how unlikely it may seem I think my previous prediction for the podcast was that Benicophobi would be the top goal scorer for Preston North End because I received some dodgy intel that a phobia was signing for North End, which ultimately never happened, but not to worry. Anyway, enough of that nonsense. Uh, I can't be on the uh, on the podcast this evening, or whenever you listen to this, incidentally, uh, because I'm on a cricket tour in Oxford, hence why you might hear some, uh, you know, scuffling sound, because I'm currently in a car uh, to Oxford. So, apologies about that. Anyway, without much further ado, my top two for this year's championship are Norwich, because this is what Norwich do. They like to go up to the Premier League and they like to come back down. The ultimate yo-yo club have taken that mantle off West Bromwich Albion in recent years. And, you know, with Dean Smith at the helm, they've got a good gaffer there. They've got a, they've obviously got a good squad of players. They've got the parachute payments and you'd be stupid to bet against them. Because, ultimately, Norwich do what Norwich do. And in runner-up, I'm going to go for Middlesbrough. I imagine it'll be a relatively popular choice, to be honest, because, you know, Chris Wilder's been there for a while now. He's managed to instil his methods into that squad at Middlesbrough. And, uh, you know, this is a powerful football club. They can spend money and they've got a massive fan base, none of which actually equates the results of the field. But this is the sort of spiel that these, uh, that you know, these people in the know or people who make predictions tend to come out with. So I'm just going to follow suit. So I'm going to go for Norwich, because that's what they do, and Middlesbrough under Chris Wilder with a decent squad there and a massive fan base. It's about time they got back to the Premier League. Nobody particularly enjoys going to Middlesbrough uh, midweek. Incidentally, we've got them at the weekend this season. Although I do enjoy the Transporter Bridge. So Middlesbrough and Norwich for the top two. And now we swiftly move on to the playoff places. They're almost more romantic than the top two, aren't they, the playoff places? People strive more so towards the playoffs than the top two for some bizarre reason. People do claim it's the best way to go up. Um, and it is a fabulous day out at Wembley, I must admit. Uh, anyway, let's stop naming some clubs who are going to feature in this year's championship playoffs. I think the Clarence will be there, Burnley. Now, that's not necessarily a, uh, you know, an outside-the-box thought, but um, I think Burnley have got a good squad. I think they've delved into the European market nicely under Vincent Company. And I think that they can make Turf Moor into a real fortress. Nobody's going to enjoy going to Turf Moor. The only sort of dark cloud hanging over the Clarets, you could argue, other than those uh, inclement East Lancashire weather, is uh, whether Vincent Company is able to transform what a fabulous player he was into being a fabulous manager. I suppose there are still question marks in the English game. Um, surrounding Vincent Company, but you know, a manager is only as good as the sum of his parts, and I think Burnley have the sum of their parts to make it into the playoff places. I think West Bromwich Albion will be there as well because this is a massive football club, and they also have a lot of good players. I think they massively underachieved last season, um, and to think of West Brom outside the playoff places, in my opinion, um, well. I'd be stunned if they weren't there. Nobody's going to enjoy going to the Hawthorns. It's a difficult place to go and get results. North End did so last season. I'd be surprised if they did this season. But you never know. As I said previously, any outcome is possible, no matter how unlikely it may seem. And then it might be a surprise to some. It won't be a surprise to some. I'm going to go for Sunderland. 
you know, Alex Neal's got in there and, you know, really revitalised this football club. It was a real sleeping giant, but they're starting to make slight gains. And to think of Sunderland not challenging, not challenging under Alex Neal would be wrong. You know, Alex Neal, of course, has been around the block in the Championship and coaches do tend to know what Alex Neal does, which is suffocate you with that press. But, you know, he's been out of the league a while. And again, I fancy them to succumb to Alex's charm. And I think Sunderland will pick up points on the road. They'll pick up points at home in those freezing conditions at the Stadium of Light. And I think they'll make the playoffs. And you'd be a complete idiot uh, to go against him in the playoffs because Alex Neal absolutely adores the playoffs. He seemed to hypnotise the playoffs when he went up with Norwich. He did the same last season when he went up with Sunderland in League One. Wouldn't be a surprise to see them sneak into the playoffs. And certainly, if they did so, they'd be in with a real shout of going up. And the final place, I'm going to go for Sheffield United. They play some lovely football. They've got a great squad. Paul Heckingbottom is a decent enough manager. But again, he's another one with question marks around him. But I quite enjoyed the way that they ended last season. And I think if they can carry that momentum. <laughs> oh. Anyway, sorry, I'm carrying away myself. Nobody carries momentum into the new season, by the way. But some, you know, observers will say they do, but they don't. Anyway, they ended the season quite well last season. I think they'll be in the playoffs this season because, again, they've got a good squad. And despite Paul Heckingbottom having question marks around him, a squad... You know, a club is only as good as the sum of its parts. Their players are quite good, and I think they'll be top six in the Championship. And now we turn our attention to those at the wrong end of the table, towards the basement battle. Um, and the bottom three this season are potentially my three is wishful thinking, because I dislike going to all of these places. Um, so I'm hoping that these three go down. Uh, but you never know, because as I said earlier, any outcome is possible, no matter how unlikely it may seem. And to finish rock bottom in this year's 2022-2023 championship season, I'm going to go for Blackpool. They've lost their star asset, which was Neil Critchley in the summer, and it's been lovely to see that infighting at Bloomfield Road on Twitter uh, from afar. And they've, and they've uh, appointed Michael Appleton, who I wish all the best at Blackpool, of course, because Michael Appleton was a good servant for Preston North End, and it's great that he's got a Preston North End tattoo on his chest. They've also signed Reese Williams, who, of course, is also Preston to the absolute core. So I think Blackpool will self-implode this season. To be honest, I think they had a squad last season that wasn't particularly great. After all, you looked at their defence, and they had Richard Keogh at uh, the heart of that defence. Uh, and any second-tier side with Richard Keogh in the heart of their defence can look towards the basement battle. So for me, Blackpool are going down, and that's not because of rivalry. I just think they're absolute shite. And also going down, I think we'll be Reading. Because Father Time catches up with everyone. And ultimately, Reading have been hovering atop that trap door the last couple of years now and it's about time they went down quite frankly there's nothing good about Reading Football Club not even their players uh, I imagine they'll be going down this season which would be lovely and the final one is also a dive Huddersfield now you might think that's a bizarre prediction considering the Terriers were in the playoffs last season but they've lost the star asset in Carlos Carbaran and basically their players have been cherry picked and I think the Terriers could seriously struggle this season the only thing that might keep them up is that atmosphere at home it makes it a tricky place to go it's never an easy place to go and get results and somehow they do tend to sort of eke out results when quite frankly they play dreadful football 
for example, last season against Preston North End where they didn't have a single shot on target and still took three points. So I think the cherry-picked squad of Huddersfield will be going down, along with Blackpool and the Ding. Now, my playoff prediction may have raised a few eyebrows for the admission of Watford, who are going to be my surprise package, and not in a good way, with all due respect to Elton John, for the reason that, you know, Father Time catches up with everybody, and the managerial merry-go-round at Vicarage Road, he's surely going to catch up with them now. I mean, they haven't gone for a European manager. I actually think it's a relatively progressive appointment in Rob Edwards, who did beautifully with Forrest Green. And I wish him all the very best, actually. But, you know, he's a brave, brave man taking the Watford job because you're scarcely last two months at Vicarage Road. So my surprise package is going to be Watford because I think, you know, with the uncertainty around Rob Edwards, um, who, who I actually think he's a very good manager, but ultimately, you know, is is that water starting to get above his head at Vicarage Road? Well, I suppose time will tell. They've obviously got quality within that squad, but will that squad be torn apart between now and the end of the season? Uh, not the end of the season, sorry, the start of the season. And even potentially in January as well, if they're able to hold uh, those players um, towards the denouement of this transfer window. But I'm going to go for Watford. I don't think they'll struggle by any means, but I think they'll be mid-table. I think they might do similarly to West Bromwich Albion last season. So I'm going to go with that as my surprise package. It might raise a few eyebrows, but I think Watford will not go pop, pop and go back to the Premier League. I think they'll be in and around 10 to 14. My dark horses season, as is the same with most trusted observers in this particular league, is Millwall. I like Gary Rowett. I think he's a really good manager. Um, and nobody's got a fancy going to the den under pressure with all that atmosphere and the you know intimidation of going to Millwall. I think it's a very tough place to go and and they're really good at sort of eking out results, not just at home but also away from home. I think they've got a decent enough squad there. Uh, and you know, and they're always in with a shot of potentially going for the playoffs uh, towards the end of the season. I think this season will be no exception. Now, I don't believe they'll be in the playoffs as I predicted, but they're my dark horse to challenge late. They could be coming late, wide, and fast, to use a horse racing analogy. So let's go with those from the dead Millwall to be the dark horses. And now it's time to do what the podcast was set up to do, which is talk about Preston North End. And uh, I must warn everybody that I'm talking on the 27th of July, which is a Wednesday. Um, so, you know, North End could be making some groundbreaking additions between now and the end of the transfer window. So my prediction could be, you know, a little bit swayed by that. But, um, you know, I can only talk about what we've got at the moment. Now, it's been a decent couple of days for North End. You know, they've signed Troy Parrott from Tottenham and Alvaro Fernandez, some good Premier League loans. And, you know, the low market, when used correctly, has been a useful tool for North End over the years. You know, Aidan McGeady and Anthony Elding. You know, these are pretty decent loan signings. So, um, yeah, relatively quietly confident um, about how North End will fare this season. I think North End have got a pretty kind start to the season. You know, uh, Wigan and Hull all around the start of the season. So, you know, you'd be hoping North End get off to a pretty decent start there, but make sure you don't, you know, start getting fidgety if they don't, because, 
it's a long goal season, it's a long goal campaign, you know, beating, uh, you know, we all know that North End have got a result in them on the day, you have to look back to last season, you know, we went to the unbeaten, seemingly unconquering AFC Bournemouth last season and won, and got all three points, so, you know, at North End could easily lose at Rotherham one day and go win at Bournemouth the next, despite them not being in the league. Um, so, yeah, I'm quietly confident. Look, uh, it'd be lovely to get uh, Cameron Archer and Callum Robinson, the names that have been, you know, spouted about recently. But, you know, you've got to remain up a realistic. Um, and I'd take one of those. That'd be, um, I think, a particularly good transfer window. Now, it's worth noting that this has been a pretty decent transfer window up to press. Um, but not necessarily a transfer window that's going to make sure you're okay in a couple of years time you know there's no real saleable assets uh, coming through the door i do quite enjoy uh, the low market as i alluded to earlier but it was you know the riddler peter risdale who did say only a couple of years ago that he's not overly keen on developing other teams players well it seems like that's gone out the window on this occasion because we seem to be delving into the low market which is good for this season, it's good for these 46 games, but is it good for the future? Well, who knows? I mean, if North End are putting all their eggs in one particular basket, then that's fine, but it needs to work. Um, so, yeah, I think there's reason to be optimistic. I think North End is still a couple short as of now, you know. I'd love to see a couple of defenders come th- come. Th- through that door, I'd like to see a central defender. Not sure Patrick Bauer um, is the same player that walked through the door from Charlton Athletic. I think he's obviously still a steady player, but you know, uh, mobility has become a bit of an issue for me, Pat. Um, so I'd like to see one of those. And obviously, there's question marks around Jordan's story. He was deemed last season surplus to requirements to play for the football club when he was loaned out to Sheffield Wednesday. So is he coming into the record in this season to play that right centre-half role? I've only done two pre-season games, and the Getafe game and the Hearts game. And the Hearts game was particularly impressive, actually. I enjoyed the way North End played. Story and Hughes, either side of the central defender, were marauding. Very similar to Chris Wilder's methods. Um just without that sort of extra quality in the squad that Chris Wilder had had at his disposal. Uh, I quite like the Brady signing, but obviously uh, Brady isn't going to make it to the end of the season. We can kid ourselves now, but ultimately um, Robbie Brady will not get through the whole season. Hence why Fernandez is a particularly good signing, in my opinion. So yeah, without you know talking too much drivel, um, you know I think there's reason to be optimistic. I think Ray Lowe's been backed like no other manager. Uh, has been um, recently for sure so you know there's a little bit of pressure on Ryan Lowe and I hope he's up to it Um, you can tell he's been getting a little bit frustrated um, in the transfer window Um, but obviously he's been backed and he's got some pretty good players at his disposal this season I think we're a couple of players light uh, from challenging for that top six I'd be delighted with top ten but obviously the first and foremost is to get in around that 52-53 point mark and uh, guarantee survival. And that's Solly's piece done. Um, Make sure you tweet him, let him know what you think. Uh, Next up, we've got Sam. 
Hi everyone, it's that time of the year again, isn't it? It's you know championship season starting again. Everyone's making their predictions. Everyone's optimistic about their clubs. Some people are worrying going into it. There really is no other time like this in the football calendar. Full of optimism, full of doubt, full of you know the drama starts from minute one, doesn't it? Really, and everyone's throwing their sort of hat into the ring of what they think is going to happen. I just want to thank Jake for you know getting me on to give my predictions last season. I'm pretty sure I predicted us to. Uh, finished bottom half, which we did, but I also predicted Jamie Thomas to uh, be a breakout star for us, and he never played a championship minute, so oh, yeah, I'm really going to hope that I do a little bit better this year. And uh, also, I'm not the best at recording voice notes, so if I've any stuttering and stuff, please bear with me. I've had a little look into the championship. This is what I think is going to happen. As for who's going to win the championship, I'll give you my top two first in order. I'm going to bat Norwich. It's a bit of a boring suggestion, but the last two years I've been in the championship with a fairly similar squad, you know, the likes of Timu Puki. Max Ahrens, Todd Campbell, I expect to play a part. These are players that have been there and done it for Norwich, really. And that, combined with the fact they've got a player, a manager like uh, Dean Smith, who obviously his last season in the Championship got promotion with Aston Villa, I think they could have a real you know, recipe to win the league again. I would not be surprised if this happens at all. Obviously, Timmy Pook, I think, will be their main reason they'll do well. He's obviously smashed it the last two times he's been in the division. But also, as well, throw my... A little curveball out there. I'm expecting Adam Adar to have a really good season. He got 17 games in the Premier League last year, and he's a player I've kept an eye on ever since he uh, was on loan at. No, he wasn't on loan. Ever since he played against us in the FA Cup at the start of 2020, obviously scored a hat trick, and I've kept an eye on him since. And I think he's a player who, if he gets the opportunity to give get regular minutes this year, I thoroughly expect him to have a good season. I hope to think he can, you know, at least break double figures for goals, and that's a player who could really kick on. And him, Timmy Pukki. Josh Sargent and, of course, Jordan Hugel still being on their books. And by all means, sounds like he's having a decent pre-season. They've got the firepower to win a lot of games this year. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them uh, win the league again, as boring as it may be. Uh, second place, for me, it was a real toss-up between the other two relegated teams, Burnley and Watford. Obviously, I think every year everyone expects the relegated teams to do quite well. They don't always do that. Obviously, looking at West Brom last year, we really struggled, despite me thinking they'd have a good year and have a good squad on paper. But Burnley and Watford, I've gone for the toss-up. And Bob Middlesbrough as well of second place. But I'm going to, unfortunately, as it's painful to say, lean towards our local rivals, Burnley. The Obviously, them and Watford, they both have quite inexperienced managers at championship level. Vincent Companies, far from set the world alight at uh, Anderlecht. However, Burnley have recruited, I think they've spent a lot more money than people actually anticipated them to do. Obviously, helped funding by... Uh, selling Nathan Collins for a best part of £20 million to Wolves, but they bought in a few players when we're really excited to see play in the Championship. The obvious ones, Scott Twine, he obviously took League One apart last year. A lot of free kicks, a real sort of flashy player, who I think, you know, there'll be a lot of pressure on him to step up to the Championship, but there's no reason why he can't do it. They've obviously used the loan market really well and sort of used... Teams under 23s, teams, Vincent Companies, Man City Links have really helped out. They've brought in Harwood Bellis and CG Egan Riley, who I think are really good players at championship level. They'll help keep the ball out the back of there. Obviously, Moritz has come in as well, which I've spent a fair bit on. Luke McNally coming in, Josh Cullen. These are all players that, although they might not have a lot of championship experience, might have had the odd year here and there. It's a really exciting squad, and there are a lot of players that I think, you know, me as a Preston fan, a lot of other championship clubs. Oh, and Vida likes Scott Twan. I know there was a queue of clubs lining up for him. Harwood Bellis, obviously, really impressed at Blackburn Rovers the other year. And I think they've got a really decent squad. A lot does depend on how Vincent Company gets them playing. Like I say, his record at Anderlecht wasn't out of this world.
but there's no reason why they can't push on and have a really good go this year. I hope I get this wrong because obviously being a Preston fan, no one wants to see Burnley doing well. But, you know, they've bought well. There's no reason why they can't push on, as I keep saying. On to the playoffs. Uh, third place, I'm going to put Middlesbrough. The reason for this, they were really unlucky to miss out on the playoffs last year, obviously. It went down to the final day of the season where we dismantled them in results elsewhere. You know, a, a real out-of-the-box performance by Sheffield United really killed any playoff hope for them, despite our result. But I think going into this year, they have recruited really well. And obviously, Chris Wilder had monumental success with a... Sheffield uh, United taking them up to the Premier League and obviously having that really good first season there. I think they finished about 9th or 10th, getting that top-half finish. So I think obviously with that manager, it gives them a real kick-start. And today they've just signed in Marcus Force on a permanent transfer. And I think one thing they were really missing was a, go- was a goal scorer. And Marcus Force, I think, is a really exciting player that he could bring in and hopefully obviously hopefully fire them into the playoffs in their respect of the I think they've brought in really quite... A decent lot of players here. You're looking at like Daryl Lenehan's been a real rock at the back for Blackburn Rovers. Ryan Giles, a really impressive fullback, arguably one of, if not the best loan signings brought into the Championship this year. And obviously, to get that Marcus Force deal over the line, which uh, as I'm recording this now, looks to be going through. Obviously, signings that Stefan as well, a good goalkeeper. There could maybe be one more striker off the link with Adam Armstrong, the link with Cameron Archer, crossing everything in my body. That doesn't happen, but. I think Middlesbrough are going to be a real team to watch this year. I don't want to call them dark horses because I think they're expecting to do well. But I certainly think they'll catch a lot of the Championship off guard and really be pushing, in my opinion, Norwich, Burnley and Watford. I think that'll be the main battle for automatic promotion. Watford coming in now. Similar story to Norwich in the way that they've kept a lot of the squad that did really well from last time they were here. Tom Cleverley, Ishmael Assar. Obviously this year they've got Emmanuel Dennis as things stands. And these are players really should be nowhere near the championship. These are Premier League footballers in Norwich have managed to keep hold of for the second time now since coming down to the championship. The only thing I'm not quite convinced by Watford, and it could be a risk for them, is the manager they've brought in. They've also brought in the uh, lad off uh, Forest Green, I've forgotten his name, who by all means has done really well to get them into the uh, League One on a limited budget. He had a good squad there, don't get me wrong. He's got a good squad at Watford, but there's no guarantee that you can transition that form into the championship. But you know who can rule them out. They're going to have a lot of good players, by all means. A lot of good players have bought in fairly well as well. I fully expect Watford to be in there. Uh, fifth place, I'm going to put Sheffield United. They obviously got fifth place last year, so I don't expect them to finish any different this year. Under Paul Heckingbottom, we know they had a, a really difficult start under Jukanovic. Looked out of it, looked really down there. They obviously did that managerial change. But in Paul Heckingbottom, who took it by storm, really. How well that will continue for, we don't know. He's not that, as a coach, he's quite experienced, but as a manager, it can often be quite different. Obviously not guaranteed the same success into the second year. However, they have used the low market really well, brought in Reda Kadara today, brought in Kieran Clark. obviously a lot of experience, and Tommy Doyle from Manchester City is a really exciting capture. And I think with these players, they're not obviously going to, re- they've got to replace the likes of Morgan Gibbs-White, but what Sheffield United have got is they have got players who maybe last year struggled, but on paper... Ollie McBurney and Ryan Brewster, if it clicks for them, you know, they've proven they can do it in the Championship in the past, both at Swansea City, of course. Not to mention Billy Sharp as well, who, you know, he's missed to Sheffield United, he's missed to goals. He's fully a player I expect to hit the ground running once again and be a real, you know, goal threat to every uh, defence in the Championship. And that's why I'll put Sheffield United to uh, carry on the momentum of last year as such and get into them playoffs again. And sixth place, and these are also my dark horses, Jake. I'm going to go for Swansea City. Now, 
Swansea City, they obviously had a first year under uh, Russell Martin and uh, Martin Ball, as it's called by my flatmate of last year, who was a Swansea fan. Often when you take a manager who comes in and he wants to change the whole style, a lot more passing football, which is a lot different to what it was under Steve Cooper, who obviously in his own way had his success there. Get them into the playoffs twice, obviously, the Premier League just eluding them. Martin's come on and he's really changed the philosophy of Swansea City, but this year I'm expecting them to really kick on. They had spells last year where they looked world beaters, but they had spells last year where they couldn't keep the ball out of the net for anything. But I think Swansea's main goal threat next season, or main threat even, I've just given it away there, is going to be the partnership of uh, Michael Obafemi and Joel Perot, who last year both boasted really impressive stats, especially in the second half of the season from Obafemi, who seemed to take a bit of time to find his feet in the Championship, but smashed it towards the second uh, half of the season. Last year, Obafemi hit 12 goals in 20 games. Last season, Perot hit 22 goals in 40 games. So then players are averaging just last season, you know, goals in over half of the games they played last year. And I think that partnership's only going to get better the more they play together. That's attractive football. Those two people getting in the end of the numerous chances I expect them to create is going to be a really, really dangerous thing for the Championship defenders next year. And I thoroughly expect Swansea to take a lot of people by surprise. There's a lot of clubs who I could have put in that sixth spot. Sunderland I also expect to be dark horses in Luton, which I'm sure Ollie you agree with, obviously being a big fan of uh, Jones and Neil, respectively. Uh, but Swansea, for me, I just think he'll sneak in there. I'm a big fan of Martin. And the one thing I think that'll help them this year is the signing of Harry Darling from uh, MK Dons. He's a really impressive centre-back. Obviously, not seven goals last year, but he's a really calm, composing figure at the back. Very good on the ball. There's a, probably a likeness to uh, Ben Davis for people who haven't seen him play. Preston fans, he maybe want a bit more of an idea or a simile of how he's uh, going to be for Swansea City. So, uh, yeah, I thoroughly expect Swansea to take a lot of people by surprise and I certainly wouldn't bet against them sneaking into sixth place. Uh, moving on to relegation, a bit of a bleak one for these clubs involved. 24th place, I'm going to put Rotherham United. Obviously, they get the nickname of being the yo-yo club, really, in uh, the championship. They seem to be up, down, up, down, up, down. This year, I don't expect it to be any different, really. I think the main blow for Rotherham this year is, obviously, despite going up, they've lost two key players in the promotion year in Michael Smith and Michael Hickway to a bitter rival Sheffield Wednesday. And they've also lost Freddie Ladapo, who's gone to Ipswich. And I think these are going to be, you know, big people to replace. The players have brought in to replace them, Connor Washington, Tom Eves. They've never really taken the championship by storm, have they, Connor Washington? And Tom Eves obviously both have experience in the championship, but Connor Washington was obviously at Charlton last year. And, you know, didn't exactly set the world alight. He was solid. And Tom Eves, who we know can be a goal threat, he obviously has that physical presence, which Michael Smith would have brought to the table. But whether they're at the same level, whether they'll adapt to Rotherham United the same as them two boys would have, I'm not entirely convinced. I think Paul Warren, he's a decent man-manager. He's obviously got that going for him. But tactically, he's often found himself out of depth in the Championship, playing quite defensive football, just trying to keep it out the back of the net. And with... Some of the quality of players in the Championship this year, with the players coming down, the players being brought in, there's every chance that, uh, yeah, I think they'll finish rock bottom, to be honest with you. 23rd place is a club that's in absolute turmoil at the moment. Sorry about that. <laughs> it's uh, Birmingham City. They're looking absolute mess, to be fair. There's obviously been all these rumours of the owners. Are they going to come in? Are they not going to come in? In the end, they've not come in. But however, Birmingham City, despite all this, I don't think the recruitment has been all that bad. I'm looking at it now. They brought in the likes of Dion Sanderson, who obviously really impressed last year. They brought a couple of last year's loan players back, to be fair. 
But I just think that squad, all the turmoil going on around it, the the lack of security that John Eustace is going to have despite only just being appointed, I think they're going to really struggle. There's all that turmoil going on with the stand. The really toxic atmosphere around Birmingham at the minute and I really do think they're going to struggle, to be honest with you. Which is a shame because Birmingham are a massive club. Really always good fans when they come to Deepdale. It's a really good away day that we've had a lot of joy at down the years and it's one of them that you'd want to see in the Championship. But unfortunately, as it stands, I just can't see him staying up in third place. Another club in turmoil off the pitch. For slightly different reasons, they've obviously got a lot of a, and a bit of an embargo at the minute. They've got a lot of cap on the players they can bring in. It's actually Reading. Reading, the players coming in, Tom Ince, Shane Long, Sam Hutchinson, they're not exactly players who you think are going to really wow the championship. A lot of them are getting on, you know, 32, 35 and 30 respectively. They brought in Joe Lumley as the main goalkeeper, who by all means was an absolute car crash at Middlesbrough last season and their fans seem to not be able to wait to get the, to see the back of him. Not to mention the losses of Swift and Josh Laurent, who were key reasons in why they managed to stay up last year. What's absolutely going to be fundamental for Reading to stay up is going to be a big year from Lucas Jao. He's a player I'm a real big fan of. He had a great link up with Swift last year. Always seems to ruin Preston when we come up against him. Do I think he will uh, do it again without Swift? I don't think he'll score as many, but he's obviously a very talented striker. They paid a lot of money for him. Let's just hope for Reading's sake. Well, Reading fans will be hoping he can do it again because goals from him is going to be absolutely fundamental in staying up in the division. I don't back them to do it myself, but yeah, the, that's going to be their main outlet if any chance of staying up. Moving on to ourselves, Preston North End. I've just done an article, I've just written a little paragraph for George going in the LEP on Thursday. I don't have us down as, if I was a neutral, if I was to take off a Preston hat and have to look at it neutrally, I wouldn't put money on us getting into the playoffs. However, there's no reason, like, this is the most optimistic I've been as a Preston fan in absolutely years. We've got a manager who's really galvanised the group. We've smashed the amount, of t- uh, the record amount of season ticket sales since we've come in to jump back into the championship. And our recruitment, I think, for the first time in a while, we can really say we've done well with. I think Freddie Woodman's as good a replacement as for Daniel Iverson we could have got, especially on a permanent. I think that's a real coup. Alongside Troy Parrott and uh, Alvaro Fernandez, who've been confirmed in the uh, last two days as I'm uh, recording this. Obviously, really talented players. Obviously, something really good about the club that they've they've chosen and the parent clubs have chosen to come in here. Robbie Brady, I think, will have an impact. I don't think he's going to play that many games. I don't think he's a player that I know. Ollie's alluded to it a lot on Twitter, and I don't look like I'm copying him. But when you see someone like that saying that it'll stick with you, I think he's a player who'll come in. We've got a lot of territory. He'll become. You know, he's not going to beat a player, but when we've got a lot of territory and he can receive the ball deeper into the opposition third, I think his quality on the ball will come to show. But I expect Fernandez to be the main player down that left-hand side. The other transfer as well being Ben Woodburn. I'll move on to him in a little bit, but I think that could be a really interesting and really decent addition. As for how I'll expect us to do, playoffs could be a long shot. The back six do really worry me. Obviously, Andrew Hughes aside who I really do rate. And Jordan Story seems to have, despite having a really good year at Sheffield Wednesday and looking you know, really decent in the um, the friendlies we have had, especially the second half against Leicester, he, there's no arguments he's a downgrade on Seth Vandenberg. Obviously, as we stand now, we also haven't replaced Archer, so they're two big losses. And I think that could really scupper us going forward. Obviously, if we get Archer back, that's a huge boost. And I'm sure Troy Parrott will be a success as well, although I think he'll be in a different way. I think he'll bring more out of a meal than Archer did, but I also think I can't see him scoring as many, but 
there's no doubt that this is probably the most optimistic as Preston fans we can be in a long time. And we might not get to do it for a long time. I think this is a season where we're going to have to rely on a lot to go right. We're going to have to rely on Emil scoring a lot of goals this year. We're going to have to rely on the defenders finding form. Woodman's going to have to be massive in games like Daniel Iverson was because how many times last year were we almost shell-shocked by just how he'd managed to claw something out the back of his net and stuff like that. But there's every chance and... I don't expect us to get into the playoffs, but if everything goes right, Emil scores a lot. We have got a really good midfield. If you can bring another right wing back and another striker, that's what we've got to do to have any chance. But I'm optimistic. I think if you carry on the form in the second half of last year since Lowe took over, you wouldn't want to bet against us. There seems to be a surprise package every year in the Championship. You know, no one expected Huddersfield and Luton to get into the playoffs last year. No one expected Barnsley to do it the year before. There's no reason why we can't but I wouldn't put money on it. There's a lot of strong teams in the Championship this year. A lot of teams coming down are expected to do well. A lot of big clubs like Swansea, Middlesbrough, West Brom, who have chucked a lot of money at it in terms of wages and transfer fees, and it's going to be a tough Championship for us, even though it might not have been as strong as previous years. It's still hard as ever, the Championship, but who knows? We're optimistic. There's a lot of good around the club at the minute. And one more thing, Jake, asked for a bit of a bold prediction for us. And... Honestly, for me, I know I said I'd allude to him later before, but uh, Ben Woodburn, a lot of people, when we brought him in, were probably wondering why we've done it. People seem to think we have a stacked midfield, but when you look into it, especially with Harrit being transfer-lifted, we don't really have another type of player like Daniel Johnson was, a bit more of a creative 10. If you like, someone who's going to drive forward and create those chances for midfield, a bit different to like an Alan Brown and Ali McCann or Ben Whiteman around Ledson. Players like that, and I think he can come in and pre-season, I've been really impressed with him, especially the Hearts game. He really took the game to Hearts, got his goal, he scored twice in pre-season. And obviously against Bamba Bridge. But I think Ben Woodburn will be a big player. I'm not saying he's going to get double figures or anything like that in terms of goals, but my bold prediction is that uh, Ben Woodburn will be our top goal-scoring midfielder, which is a bit of a bold statement considering Daniel Johnson's going to be playing a lot of regular football. There's going to be a lot of goals from Alan Brown, but I can really see Ben Woodburn hitting the ground running for us, being a real threat in the team, and I'm going to say he's going to be our highest goal-scoring midfielder and he will earn a contract extension. This is coming from the guy who expected, well, not expected, but reckon Jamie Thomas would be a breakout star next year. So, obviously, don't take my words as gospel. But, yeah, they're my predictions ahead of the 2022-2023 Championship season. Really looking forward to getting going again at Wigan away. And uh, yeah, hope everyone who's going to Wigan enjoys it and fingers crossed can have a really good year. Take care, everyone. Same again, that's Sam's done. Um, make sure you tweet him and, and let him know what, what you think of what he has to say about the season ahead. Load of um, shite. <laughs> and finally, we've got George as well. Definitely loads of shite. Well, I've just I've written him down what to say. So he just <laughs> reading off, he's reading off a script. So yeah, we'll expect to hear George's bit. Uh, from Ollie in the second half as well then. Alright everyone, George here, just getting my predictions in for this episode of From the Finney. Looking forward to the new campaign starting. Uh, it's dragged a bit this summer to be fair. The trip to Spain was great and I think North End played some decent stuff over the course of pre-season but nothing whets the appetite like the proper stuff getting started and what a game um, this weekend coming up to to mark the start of the season away at Wigan, sold out away end, um, local game, should be cracking, but we'll get into the categories that Jake has passed on to me, um, starting with the top two, 
don't think it's that easy this year. Don't think there's a standout relegated side um, that you can, you know, whereas Fulham last year you could pretty much bank on that they would be up there and you know they went on to smash it. But other than that, there wasn't that much um, to be afraid of. And on paper, I think it's the same again this year. I do think Norwich um, look fairly strong, so I'll, I'll pick them for one of my two. It's very rare that none of the relegated sides are up there. Um, I don't think I think Norwich have lost a few players, but no real big losses. Um, and they brought a couple of, couple in, paid big money for someone um, called Gabriel Sara, and brought Isaac Hayden in from Newcastle. Who knows the league? They've got Dean Smith in charge, and uh, yeah, I think Norwich will be will be pretty well set to have a good go of it. It'd make it a bit more interesting if it was someone else because. They are really sort of a yo-yo club. Um, but yeah, I've got Norwich in there. And then the second one was tough. There was no real standout for me. Uh, I've gone for Sheffield United. I thought they were good at Deepdale last year, even though North End managed to, against all odds, come from behind and get that 2-2 draw. I thought Sheffield United played some really good stuff and, and looked to cut above at times. Um, and yeah, I think if that squad can you know, click as it did a couple of years ago, uh, I think I think they've got a good chance of being up there. I think they've made some great signings. Tommy Doyle from Man City, uh, Kieran Clark's coming from Newcastle. Paid big money for a Bosnian centre back that Blackburn were after. And yeah, I think the squad looks good. And if they like to Rian Brewster and Illiman and Die, um, can have good individual seasons. Then I think I think Sheffield United will be uh, will be up there in and around it. On to the playoffs. I think Middlesbrough, a team a lot of people are talking about this year. I think they still need a few more signings, but slowly building that squad together nicely. Um, got battered on the final day at Deepdale, but um, the squad on paper, you know, big money for Jed Spence, brought the likes of Ryan Giles and Daryl Lenihan in. Um, I think there's rumours with maybe even Adam Armstrong and a couple of other strikers. Marcus Force at Brentford. Um, and Chris Wilder's loved up at the Riverside by the looks of it and um, if they can build on the momentum shout out to Adam Salisbury from last year then I think they'll be well set to have a good go of it and push that top six after that um, I have got Watford in there even though they're a bit of an unknown entity I, I had a look at the squad and they've still got plenty of quality um, untested manager in from Forest Green but you know it's not a bad squad to go in and work with there. Um, if you can sort of regalvanise them after a difficult season in the Premier League, then you know there's enough quality in, in the Watford squad um, to make the top six for sure. Obviously, still a month left of the transfer window, so that could change yet. But I think you'd be, you know, it'd be tough to leave Watford out of that top six given the players and experience and quality they've got on paper. Uh, my final two are West Brom. I think they've made some great signings, to be honest, this summer. John Swift, Jed Wallace, um, not to be sniffed at, to be fair. They've got a really good attack if they can get it get it going. And even if it's not Steve Bruce, who you know, I don't really rate him that highly, but um, even if they manage to get somebody else in, if it doesn't work for Bruce, then what a squad to walk into and, and work with to be fair so yeah they'll have to play a lot better football than they did last year because they were absolutely awful to watch in the two games 
against Preston, but you know Wallace and Swift are two serious signings and plenty of other quality at both ends to supplement that. So yeah, the baggies should um, should be up there. Uh, leaves one spot for me, and I've gone um, with regret for Burnley because uh, obviously made a lot of signings this summer. A lot of them are untested, but it's got the potential to really click. I think companies, you know, put a big uh, lot of trust in youth players. You know, bringing young players in a lot from Man City, and they're going to obviously change the style from the last few years, but. I think it looks quite a smart recruitment to be fair on paper and they're going to get more money for a few players that they've sold so could potentially go out and spend that uh, I think it will be a test for company into the championship new for him and new for a lot of those players but uh, I think on most of the signings Burnley have made you've looked at and, and look pretty good to be fair so it'd be good to see them not up there but I think they look uh, like they'll have a good go to be fair on to the other end of the table and I think most people have got two of these clubs in there. The off the field issues at off the field issues, sorry, at Reading and Birmingham make it look like those two clubs are gonna have uh, really tough seasons. Uh, there is still quality in both squads, you know, the likes of Lucas Jow and Edgiari are at Reading and I think Birmingham have brought a couple of players in Dion Sanderson and things like I think Placetta is it from Norwich as well. Um but yeah, if you look what the fans of those two clubs are saying, then it doesn't bode well for either of them. I'd be delighted to not have to go to the Majeski, to be fair. So if Reading did did struggle, then I don't think many Preston fans would miss them. But yeah, we'll have to see how two big clubs get on this year because a lot of people are backing them to really struggle. The other spot I did to and uh, throw between Blackpool and who I think will struggle after the loss of Critchley. Don't think they've signed particularly well uh, this summer. Only three signings, I think. And then Rotherham, you know, you always expect to be down there in a dogfight. And we'll have to see how they get on. I'm sure they will be down there. Um, but had a good year last year. Paul Warren is still in charge. Uh, they're linked with a few other jobs. Obviously lost a few massive players to Sheffield Wednesday which is a real blow but they have brought a fair fair share in um, so yeah I'll have to see how the Millers get on but I've actually gone for Wigan um, who I think sort of in the bottom six in a lot of predicted tables I've seen uh, Wigan have Sam Ryan the Ambi and that's it for now I think they need a lot more than that really looking at the squad there's a lot of hard work and graft in there but especially going forward. I'm not sure the quality is there for Wigan at the moment. So they've got a big month ahead of them to get a few more players in. Oh, the manager's very well liked and you know, they smashed League One last year, but um, yeah, I'm not sure Wigan's squad is, is looking too strong right now. Probably tempting a defeat on the opening day for Preston, but yeah, I've, I'll go for uh, Wigan, Reading and Birmingham as my bottom three. And a dark horse... Um, always a tough one really I think obviously Luton last year were the, ended up being the dark horse I think they'll be decent again top that squad up well back Nathan Jones with a few nice signings um, I think Swansea and Millwall have, have done well this summer as well I think they'll be pushing top half for sure 
if I had to pick one, I think probably go for Coventry. Um, you could probably throw Preston into this category, to be fair. Only a couple of signings away from um, looking at the squad and thinking, yeah, it can have a it can have a go at pushing the top six. I think so. Preston or Coventry probably uh, filter into this one. Coventry haven't lost too many other than Matt, uh, Ian Matson that's gone to Burnley, and they brought a few uh, players in this summer. Jonathan Panzo, Callum Doyle, good young signings uh, on paper, and Casey Palmer, who knows uh, the Championship. So yeah, I'll go for Coventry uh, for my dark horse. And to finish, just a little look at Preston. Um, I don't think the squad's going to be in any trouble this year. I think still two or three signings, like I say, away from looking at the squad and thinking it's uh, it's got what it takes to push the playoffs. I don't think the championship is too strong. Again, there's a lot of teams, probably 10, 10 to 12 teams, maybe more, that you look at and think could push the, the playoff spots but no real outstanding quality or, or team to be afraid of I would say um, so yeah Bayern Lowe's done great to get Fernandez and Parrott in and you know I think the right wing back is a massive one Brad Potts needs some help down there some competition um, and then another forward player whoever that may be uh, to really provide some strong competition in the final third Parrot sounds a bit more of a creative type, even though he's been brought in to score goals. And then we saw what the competition from Archer did for Reese last year. So if you can get another quality player in that final third then and a right wing back, I think Preston will be looking pretty good to have a good go of it. Centre-back, I think, is potentially going to be an issue. Uh, that right-sided centre-back, I think, you maybe in a month's time. Hopefully not, but... To lose Set Dan Set Vandenberg and not replace him, um, we'll have to see how that goes because he's he was obviously a class act, and it's going to be a big uh, season for Jordan Story to prove that he's uh, got what it takes to fill that void. So, see how it goes. I'm, I'm sure Preston won't be in any bother this year. I, I think top half minimum should be the aim, and then depending on how the new signings bed in, as avoiding injuries and maybe just getting those two or three extra bits of quality then I think the belief among the the fans would would multiply so yeah hopefully another couple in and hopefully three points on the opening day against Wigan should be a cracking occasion away and they'll be bouncing um, and what an opportunity for Preston to embrace all this positivity and uh, start with three points on the road nice one and yeah, make sure you tweet George. Let him know what you think. If you think it was shit, or if you think it sounded like something Ollie would say. Yeah, boys. Cheers for that. Um, we'll, we'll come back in part two shortly.
Let the 